Hi, welcome to the Giverji podcast. I'm Ben, Giverji COO. And for those of you who don't know who we are, we're fundraising experts who provide fundraising technology and consultative advice for organisations looking to raise more at events and online. We're really excited to share our fundraising best practices, tips and tricks through this medium. So sit back and enjoy the show. In today's episode, we will be continuing our new podcast series based around thought leadership. It invites game changers from the industry to share their stories, inspire charities to think differently, be bolder and look for new ways to fundraise. COVID-19 has thrown up an array of challenges for the nonprofit sector. However, difficult times often then allow for new ideas to be heard. And we're hoping to explore some of these with Tracy Wade today. Tracy has been working with charities for almost two decades. She helps charities understand what they can't do and expand their visions on what is actually possible. On top of her volunteer work, she puts her skills to use sitting on several boards for nonprofits. And we are super excited to be here with Tracy today. How are you doing, Tracy? Just fine, thank you. Good morning from our side of the world. And where is your side of the world? Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, West Coast. And it's absolutely stunning there for anyone who has has not yet visited. (laughs) So how's it going in Vancouver when it comes to COVID? Are we we out the other side yet? Not as in completely. Uh well, it, it, you know, in Canada, we're, we're a very big country. So the regulations vary from area to area, from province to province. So right now on the West Coast, on the Pacific Ocean, we've just opened up to be able to socialize outside and to have small groups inside. So it, it is still, to get back to the point of why we're, we're here, it is still not a gala world here yet. So, you know, we're we're making do, but we're doing well. Vaccination rates are high. People's spirits are recovering. Oh, that's good. And how have you fared? How, how have you found the COVID experience? Well, I think it, it it's just driven home to me how much work we need to do to help our communities, because it, it takes sometimes a bit of a disaster or a challenge for people to really mobilize and, and see despair. And I think on the upside of this negative time are a few new visions of people. People can see more and they might be willing to experience more. And for charities, that means a door open to people's hearts. So I'm very hopeful that we can kind of take this empathy and collective spirit and move it forward into the giving world. Yeah, and absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think like, like this podcast, anything that can inspire people at the moment to think, you know what, yeah, it, it has been really tough, but there has been so many positive things happening as well. And, and lots of people are returning to work right now. I mean, mm-hmm. it's bad, isn't it? Like having that long away from trying to fundraise and now go, you know, I've got to catch up. I've got to get back in there and probably learn a load of new things as well. So it's a whole new world. Challenging, but exciting. Absolutely. Lots of opportunities. So for our audience, what would be lovely is just to find out a little bit more about your history. So, you know, we're going to talk a lot today about fundraising and the nonprofit sector and, and the kind of ways that you support them. But how did you get to today? Tell us the, the story of Tracy. 
Well, I, I really want to be super upfront that unlike some other guests in the podcast, I'm not a working paid professional in the charity world. All of the work that I do, which is almost full-time hours in a week, really, is on a volunteer basis. I don't receive any compensation. So my thoughts and advice are ex- worth exactly what I'm paid for, which is nothing. So, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's done from the heart. But I think You know, my previous professional experience, I then retired to raise my daughter at home. And she was at a private girls school, very, very into, you know, the school is very a prominent one for education and moving girls forward, science, math, all those kind of things. So it's it's very important structure for girls' minds and people, the community to buy into the lifting up of girls in education. And there was an event at the school that just, I thought, it had so much potential, but it, it had no visibility. It had no sponsors. It had no information into the community. It had no interactivity, nothing. So I kind of thought, well, maybe with a few hours work, I could move the dial forward on this a little bit. And, you know, that was quite a long time ago, obviously. So I've been just trying to move those dials forward ever since. So. That that's I mean, I'd always been a guest at events and all those kind of things, but uh, I hadn't really gone in there and with a screwdriver and tried to make changes before. So that's kind of how how I got sucked in. And from so that's from a, how you started the journey into into fundraising. But what about outside of fundraising? What's been your world before? Because I know you've you, you know, every time you speak, I'm always I'm always mesmerized by all the different advice you're able to give. And, and you have so much knowledge. But I always think to myself, I think it's also because you're able to look at it from a different lens. You've not always gone in straight to be a fundraiser. Like you said, you're not paid to be a fundraiser. So it'd be great to understand the other side. No, and really my education in fundraising is twofold because I have been the target of fundraising. So I've felt inside approaches that worked, approaches that did not work interactions that I liked, organizations where I wanted to learn more. And I guess I just ingested that information along the way. And by profession, I'm a broadcaster and a writer. So dissemination of information, videos, telling stories, creating an event, really, if you will, a newscast is is like an event, time management, understanding how to message quickly, like those are all things that I was paid to do. So now I do them without pay. So that's great. <laughs> as, as, I, as I said to you on the last call, you're like an amazing consultant that is completely freelance in the terms of you don't even charge. So it's, it's amazing what you do. It's just a way to give back, really. It, and again, it's I'm worth what you pay for, which is, you know, not nothing. <laughs> it's just nothing. <laughs> I remember the first time we met in when I was in Vancouver and, and you kindly supported us on the future fundraising event. And you, you were on the panel and the, the questions were being thrown at you and you were like, boom, 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 hit next answer, next answer. And I was like, OK, this lady has got so much to give. And you could tell from all the fundraisers, everybody's wanted to talk to you. So it, it just shows you're like one of the most popular unpaid people I've ever met. <laughs> it's crazy. That's high praise. But I think also... You know, for the people who were interested in my point of view, it was because they don't often have the opportunity to have a candid conversation with someone who 
basically is a donor or runs a foundation or is on that side, but yet understands the work that the fundraiser is trying to do or, you know, the goals of an organization or whatever. Whereas I get all that. I understand the law. I understand tax receding. I understand how to make a guest seating chart. I know who the people are. It's just, so it's a different, it's just kind of a, it's a weird skill set with too much stuff. It just kind of bubbles out when, when someone asks me a question. I, I, I guess I don't realize it's all back there, but because I often work alone. So I just make events and there they are. And it just flows out. Yeah. And I remember when, when I when I met you and also when we had um, a conversation recently, you're, you're brutally honest as well, aren't you? That's that's your approach. Yeah. I, you know, I a I, little bit of word of mouth. I, I do get calls and emails and pre-COVID, you know, I would go and meet with organizations and, you know, they find themselves in a pickle in terms of having overextended into an event or not understanding something that they've signed up for or whatever. And word of mouth somehow I end up in there. So now I'm at the Parrot Rescue Organization and I'm realizing that they've signed on to something that they can't fulfill, that it, they're grasping for words and titles that don't work for the organization or the supporters that they have or the supporters they're looking to get. <clears throat> Excuse me, I've got allergies, of course, today of all days. So, you know, I, I just, I do, I just cut through it and I say, these decisions are wrong. You should reverse them. And fortunately or unfortunately, I don't waste a lot of time in what I have to say. But I mean, I have sat across from people I've made cry, which very much upsets me. But what would upset me more is if they spent six months pretending that they're going to have a big multi-million dollar gala, when mm -hmm. instead really what they needed was a community-based event that educated that sector of our population, right? So I, yeah, brutally honest might be a moniker I've grown into. Again, long time growing. <laughs> <laughs> You're hilarious. But I think that that does lead that it does lead us on to leadership because. I think, you know, from what you're saying as well is, but, you know, when you're going to when you're consulting and you're, you're supporting that charity, it sounds like you're trying to ensure as well they're straight, staying true to their mission or to what is actually achievable. Because I, I've been in meetings like that and they're like, and I, I've been there sitting there in a, what's it called, a site visit. God, I forgot the real world that we used to work in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, when you used to actually see people. Yeah, a site visit. And they've they been like, this is going to be a, you know, five million pound or million dollar event or blah, blah, blah. And he'd be going boom, boom, boom. And then sometimes I'd be thinking in the back of my head, well, are you going to tell people what they're here for? Like, do you remember that this is, as in sometimes you think, is it staying true to what the charity's mission is in terms of I don't feel there might be any plug there or any moment where it's actually reminding me, you know what, we do amazing work and this is what we're planning to do. Would you say that's kind of what your, your mission is? That you're trying to keep people aligned with that throughout your journey? Yeah, and to find the avenues in which it makes sense to move into. But, you know, I think it's hard, maybe, when you're a young person and you get involved with a charity and you have a title, you're vice president of marketing, or I don't know, you're something, and you're, you're trying to move things forward, you're trying to do something explosive, you're trying to kind of make a mark, but age and, and experience kind of shows you that without the building blocks of things, whatever you do will just implode in the end and you're not kind of leaving a legacy for the organization 
you know, the the key element for people to remember is you're making the building blocks so when you move on, these building blocks stay in place. It's not about you, it's about the charity's work. And so, you know, it's hard to move a dial in 24 hours. You gotta go second by second, minute by minute. And it's hard to accept that when you're young and you've got all this energy and, and you think you can do this, you know, multi-pound event and it's gonna be amazing. Yeah. But you know, if it doesn't resonate and if you're not opening up the message, you're not doing the people or the space in which you're you're raising money any favors. You're not putting those building blocks in place. So I do find that's kind of where I hit with a hammer and nail on that because I think the messaging and the reason why you're doing what you're doing, if it's an event, an online campaign, uh, whatever it is, a Facebook thing, you have to know why you're doing it first, not just doing it so you can spend a whole bunch of money to create some sort of event slash party slash dress up thing, because that might not be the avenue that is workable. Yet sometimes with you know, some high net worth individuals, maybe you do need to have that cachet event. You do need to give them back an event, a night to remember, message at the same time, that kind of thing. But a lot of other times that's that's not the way to go. And you're you're doing your organization a disservice. And that's the message that sometimes people don't want to hear from me. But I'm happy to keep giving it because again, I can't lose my job at all. And I just, I feel so strongly about giving back that I want to increase the recognition of good work. So if there's an organization I see that needs that, I'm happy to to move forward and kind of say what I think. But again, it's up to the organization because I am not the paid expert. Now, and I think this, this leads me on to two questions on this on the same one, which is, you're in a very unique position because you, yes, you have all this knowledge and all the different things, but also, you know, like you said, you can walk away. They could walk away from you. No one's gonna, you know, there's gonna be nothing happening. Yeah. Where I think what I'd love to, to get your opinion on is if you are that leader, you're that leader at that table and you're like, we're gonna do, boom, we're gonna have a cannon, I'm joking, but you know, we're gonna really go for it's it. It's happened, it's yeah. happened. I could, I could imagine. What tips could you give that person to try and remind them, like now, someone could be listening to this going, actually, is that me? You know, with my return from COVID event, because you might be thinking, wow, we've had two years off in a, in a way. Well, let's go out with a big bang. Is there any tips you could give for a leader to go, how do they stay true? Well, I think now is a great time for innovation and for thinking outside the box. So. I think everybody working in charity needs to take two steps back and take a little time with a pen and paper and reflect on what has worked during our global time of COVID and write those thoughts down. And on the other side of the paper, write what worked before COVID or what did you think was working during COVID? And then on a separate piece of paper, put out your goals. Have they changed? Have they moved forward? Are they more diversified? Are you using more multimedia and multi-social event platforms than you did before COVID when you were relying on your yearly gala type of thing? And really see how 
these two things are converging because there's a point where they're moving towards the same goal and there's a point where they're not. So you need to find that intersection and keep that momentum going forward, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's the, like you said, it's that realism moment, bringing yourself back, grounding yourself. And yeah. like, I agree, putting it all on paper could probably make you go, oh, okay, maybe I might have been going a bit too far with that. But that thing really did work and bringing in some new ideas, but not going to 200%, maybe, you know, 20% of newness kind of thing. And also, you know, be cognizant that around the world, every single charity is scrambling and coming out of the gate post-COVID with the biggest event that you've ever held in the organization's history. If every single organization did that, you don't have donors to support that. So, you know, maybe you could be different. Maybe you could find a different way. You could differentiate your organization by finding a way to find the intersection of what your donors are looking for and what they were engaged in during COVID and how you can continue that engagement and morph back into some interpersonal kind of relativity. Although, it, you know, it's probably freaking people out to be face to face these days. So used to this now, this seems so weird at the beginning, even though I'm a broadcaster and I mean, basically, you know, live my professional life talking to a camera without the arm movements, obviously, because I almost got fired yeah. most of the time for, for car crash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently that's not how you say it. <laughs> Love that. So it's going to be a new world. Yeah, no, it is. And on the flip side, if there was someone at that table right now who, again, isn't in your position, so they don't have that level of autonomy where they could be a bit more brutal, do you think there's a good way to try and for them to, if they're sitting there thinking, we, I think we're going too far with this, we, we might not be staying true to our mission. Do you think there's a good way for, you know, someone that might be a marketing exec or somebody that's an exec and might not be, you know, top dog, <laughs> how they yep. could try and communicate that at the moment? The best thing is to write down what the goal is. It's like going back to grade school and writing a thesis. If you don't have a thesis for your event or campaign, Stop. Full stop. Stop everything. Sign nothing. Do nothing until you have that. And you need to decide straight out in that thesis of your campaign. Are you looking to raise as much money as possible with this campaign, which is a very legitimate goal? Or are you trying to educate or are you trying to bring in new donors or are you trying to reach a younger segment of your community? Are you trying to reach an older segment of your community. I mean, what are you trying to do? Because no event or campaign can do everything. And sometimes when you're that person at the table with the squeaky voice knowing kind of inside that this is not, this is not gonna work, you know, you can kind of go back to a bit of a, well, you know, why don't we take a few steps back and nail down a sentence that encapsulates what you, the people around the table, want me to accomplish. And then we can go forward and get on the bus with that because, you know, I want to do what's best for the organization. I want to help those in need that we're, we're helping. But without a very clear point of view on this, we're just going to be fragmenting and, and wasting our resources. So that's the advice I'd say is just to 
stay super calm. Don't worry about speaking out, but just dial it back and, and literally pen, paper, thesis statements. And, you know, everybody remembers writing those endless papers, at least anybody over, I don't know what, 13, they don't write papers anymore, but <laughs> they don't. I mean, what is that? So I just think that everybody recognizes that message and it does resonate because it was drilled into you during grammar school and university and all those things. So it, it makes sense and it's not offensive. It doesn't challenge anyone. It doesn't put anybody's ideas down. It doesn't tamper the energy. It just focuses it. Yeah. And, and you know what? What I think is really important there is, is doing that thesis and writing it down because sometimes you can tell you know, even in, even in our company, when you have someone that might be new to the table or, or may not have that commanding voice, and sometimes they'll blurt something out and be like, oh, I don't think this and this and this, and you go, okay, well, why? And then sometimes the person can't articulate because it's maybe not there, and they'll be like, no, I really think it, but I can't really explain it, and then you end up moving, it's not, it's not valid enough. So I think having that, especially when you, especially if you're new, is is a really good way to do it so yeah. really survive. so a question for you is obviously we're st we're starting to come out of the pandemic to a level but what are you feeling is the biggest barrier to success for the non-profit sector must overcome kind of to break the new ground now they're coming out of this you're moving forward what what do you think is next for them well i think to answer your question about the biggest barrier I think that the biggest barrier is collapsed thinking, which is relying on something that worked before and not learning anything new and sticking with, I, I think there's going to be a line for organizations. They either rewind the clock and do whatever they did pre-COVID and not adjust any campaigning, not adjust any communication, just literally put the dial back. And then there'll be some organizations who think, hmm, okay, we actually had some success with doing something like this. So why don't we bring our donors back in this event they recognize, but then have this campaign on Facebook on, you know, whatever it was that kind of resonated. And we're going to continue and we're going to remodel that. I can give you an example of something that I've, I've seen if, if you want. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. In British Columbia, we have an organization called Coast Mental Health. I'll be up front. I'm on the board. There's literally the biggest event in Vancouver is called the Courage to Come Back Awards. And it honors recipients who have made it through unbelievable adversity, addiction, mental illness, you know, just things that, you know, deserve our support and recognition. So we receive applications. We honor these people. We have an event, our, our last event pre-COVID, I think was over 1,600 people, which for Vancouver is the largest in-person event. And these recipients take to the stage. And I'm very honored because I work on the event. I always have. It's over 20 years going. And I work with each recipient on their speeches because of my, my background. And they take to the stage. And everybody cries with them. It, it's impossible to not be engaged and participating despite the huge crowd. During COVID, we were one of the first events that got nixed and were nixed again because our event is supposed to be now or just passed. So we nixed? Nixed, uh, N-I-X-E-D, cancelled. 
Oh, I've never heard that. I've never heard that term before. I was like, is that a new thing? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to use UK friendly words, but sometimes I think the Canadiana in me will pop in. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's fine. I just had to ask a question. <laughs> bunch, bunch of malarkey. So, you know, we've had two, unfortunately, two cycles being cancelled next. So we instead brought in a social media expert, or at least somebody who really understood it more, to reach out to younger dynamic group and talk about mental illness because during COVID, particularly young professionals, so affected working from home, losing jobs, you know, stuck family in an apartment when you used to be out and about doing, you know, magical things. So we kind of reinvented the wheel and we found an online platform to tell the stories and we kind of released them through a series of weeks, but they were accessible as they came out as a collective. So you, we still had the stories of the recipients and we had a few sideline events. One of our board members actually came up with a fantastic charity cycling event. She had a lot of contacts in the cycling world. So all of a sudden, the second year for that, we have like a hundred groups of cyclers doing these crazy, it was just on the news last night here. Like that's how kind of these long cycle trips through these, you know, crazy coastal yeah. roads raising money but it's more than raising money the clicks to all of our things now and of course age so i'm not using the right language but the actual people engaged in these endeavors we've got younger people we've got people who were never involved with post mental health before but heard about the mental health initiative and you know just clicked on their computer so it's one of those things that really worked it really worked. The team at Coast Mental Health has done such a great job at creating so much out of a next event. Like, where did your 1,600 people go? Oof, they're gone. Well, let's get more people, new people, extra people. So now the list for this initiative is thousands and thousands and thousands of people long, whereas before it was your donor list, you know? So that's that's an example to me about the innovative thinking and the new options that you know, different organizations can explore. And it's about people bringing ideas forward because I didn't really know if a cycling initiative would work, but here it took off. Yeah, like, it like amazing. Brilliant. It, it shows you as well the expansion of peer-to-peer -peer fundraising as well. Mm -hmm. that's, it's gone crazy, hasn't it? In around All around the world, there's been different stories. You know, we had the one in the UK, I don't know if you heard about it, Captain Tom. Yeah, that, that, that gentleman that, you know, walked and raised like 30, some crazy number. Yep. But people are giving, aren't they? If you, get the, if you get it right, and I think what's interesting is that, you know, charities are so, sometimes we can be so focused on events and, you know, those donors only want to do this or, or bid on an item and things like that. And then you see, like, the cycling event that's now on the news. It just shows. Think out of the box. It's so inspiring. And it, it's about looking again at whether during a time when you know you're not going to necessarily raise the dollars that you did with your single event with your regular donors type of thing it's about engaging a whole different group of people and maybe they don't have that amount to give but it's education and as you said peer-to-peer -peer, because if that one person mentions it to two people and those two people mention it to one person and that one person mentions it to five people You've already done more with that than you did with your one donor at your event. 
it, it might not balance out in dollars, but I think long term it balances out in community engagement, which will bring the corporate, it will bring the donors, but you'll have more of a push, like a swell of support. That's what I've seen with this anyways. Yeah, and and I think what it also does in that in that opportunity is that, you know, one of, I think one of the biggest challenges that the charity sector will face next is to try and attract the next generation into fundraising. Because I think the you know the millennials and the different you know generations Z and X, so many that we're learning about now, but it is different. And I I sometimes go to some events and I sometimes think I wonder would my friends come here, and I'm still I'm still not I'm still unsure because they do they do actually give, but they don't give in the same ways as you know like my family would or my parents would, or my grandparents did. And I think that is a new way to think because you've got to think are the events. But always, a tr- or, the, or is the event going to want the same things to happen at the event? It's, it's, you know what I mean. I think it's pushing you to go. We may need to think a bit more. Even am I going to attract millennial, for example? Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. Whole new world again. <laughs> and have you found? I mean, that's a, that's a great example in Vancouver. But have you have you found that in general, the in Vancouver, you know, the kind of reaction to the pandemic and the way people have fundraised. How do you think the charity sector in, in Vancouver has, has handled the pandemic? Well, I think some charities just dropped off the radar. Usually they're smaller ones. They didn't, you know, they don't have um, a lot of experienced staff. There's not a lot of uh, manpower, lady power, human power. And I, I, I think it just, they didn't have a campaign to offer. And during COVID, it became so complicated to maybe create the videos or, you know, do whatever was necessary. So they just kind of sat and they're just waiting for COVID to finish. And I think that those are the charities that are in danger because they're just going to repeat exactly what they did pre-COVID. And it's not going to necessarily intersect with our new mental clarity. So some of the other charities like, say, Coast Mental Health, you know, I, I think the charities in general did a, a pretty good job. The The problem with the virtual events is the lack of knowledge with fundraising staff about how to do a broadcast, how to effectively do something that you can only see on a screen. And I found that a lot of, particularly the early events, were still booked for like a gala amount of time, like two and a half hours, three yeah. hours, you know, and it's just, that isn't a model that that works. So, you know, out of the gate, the first virtual one I did was 30 minutes done because I didn't think anybody would stay sitting there for any longer. And it it, it was effective. It allowed every second to be effective and then stop. So nobody had complaints after or felt that kind of, oh my gosh, I really support this event, so I'm staying on. But, you know, just people said, oh, it's so great, it just went by so fast. So I think there's a great opportunity for people who have an understanding of how to do something in a in a more collapsed time frame. Maybe events can look a little different now. Maybe the idea of some long pedantic speech by your sponsor, maybe you gotta really figure out how to Put that in a bit more of a box, pre-record, pre-record, pre-record. So I think that's that's the the thing. So for me, switching to virtual 
actually meant less work because it's my wheelhouse. But I know upcoming, especially for 2022, the next time I've got to sit down with a pen and paper and do a seating chart, I'm going to be pulling my hair out. Creating <laughs> video messaging and writing the script for that is is my wheelhouse. But the other stuff is just yeah. And we're all we're all, it's weird for all of us. We're gonna go. We're gonna revert back to to the olden days to <laughs> to what we all used to do. But I agree. The virtual events have they were really you know for everyone they were stressful at the start because nobody knew what they were doing. And we we we're, we're saying to everyone like you know we have been for the last year forty five minutes is the max. But and, and we had loads of examples where, you know, they did it for 30 or 45 minutes and they raised phenomenal amounts. And we, we actually have a big group of charities that raise more than they did in person and um, like a lot more. And they, they were like, but Ben, I don't have my caterer, my venue, my all these things. Because some charities, you can tell they're actually rethinking the whole thing. And, but, the, but then we had loads of them that were like two or three hours long. And there wasn't raising anywhere near as much. And also there wasn't a plug to when an ask, sorry, it didn't happen until towards the end. And you're like, and you'd watch the viewership, all of a sudden it gets a half an hour or 45 minutes, go poof. And you're still transmitting and you're thinking, oh, if only you just asked like 10 minutes before, you could have raised, you know, have an X amount more. So I, I couldn't agree more on those points. It's been a journey, hasn't it, for everyone? It has. And I think the more you know about effective messaging and the more you know about how to reposition the giving in in a cycle of an event or a broadcast, the the better the better you're going to do overall. But again, it goes back to the reason why you're doing the campaign in the first place. Maybe it's not to raise money. I mean, obviously, you're always trying to cover your costs. You're trying to raise some money, but maybe that particular point of that campaign was to reach working professionals feeling stressed and anxious and wondering if they're suffering from, you know, some mental issues due to the stresses of the time. Maybe you're trying to reach those people. So, you know, you're not you're not trying to get money out of them. You're trying to provide an, a forum and education a coming together. And maybe you've got a click for donations and you cover the cost of your event, you make a little money, this is great. But then maybe your event really needs to put money in that pot and you're trying to get your donors clicked on and you can't risk losing them. So I agree with you. You've got to kind of virtually have to rethink the format because nobody leaves a gala halfway through unless you're faking that you're not well. So, you know, you've got them, right? Like if the doors are closed, the stage is on, you, you've got them. But in this world, if I want to get up and get a coffee right now, I just turn you off. I turn me off. And that's that's what we've got to be careful of. It's the WhatsApp distraction, isn't it? It's or, you know, you just you, you see people. So and another thing that would be great to hear from you is about I really want you to try and think about a specific or real memorable moment in your history of working with charities for two decades, you know, where you've seen a charity really stand out because they were really brave and they did something that was out of the box. So keen to hear what that story is and if anything actually works, something quite different. That's a really hard question for me to answer. And, you know, I think, you know, if anyone is listening, Sometimes selling just a single ticket to an event or a new campaign is is a milestone and super exciting. But there is something that I hold a little close from 2019, actually. So 
It's an event I do for the BCSPCA, which is like your RSPCA, and it's called Off Leashed. And it's an in-person event. It's it's not a gala, but we'll call it an in-person celebration. And the fund and need goal for that year 2019 that I was trying to do was fund a new position called an animal protection officer. We have a whole bunch of them, but we need more. And they're the people that can go in and rescue animals from situations that are not good, neglect mm -hmm. and abuse and all those kind of things. And they have that legal right. They're amazing, strong individuals, but we needed more. So I wanted to use this event platform to fund another human doing this work. But knowing our guests the way I do, the way I needed to drive home the information was to hold the guests accountable to these officers and support them. So I wanted to have these officers at all the tables so that the guests oh, okay. had to learn about this. They had to acknowledge. And, you know, the SPCA, for, for very legitimate reasons, they said, no, we can't ask the officers to do that. We can't pay them. You know, most of them will have already worked long days. They're working out in regions where the, the travel is a concern, stress, anxiety, all these kind of things. They're not trained for public relations. And I thought, well, bullocks to that, I, <laughs> I believe in them and I need them. So I, I reached out and, and re-engaged and had more conversations. And it turned out that the officers were overjoyed to be included in the event. Overjoyed. I had them come in their, their uniforms, which are bulletproof vests, because they're officers of the law. They have the power of law. They have weapons. They, they are serious yeah, individuals. Cool. But they are women and men, all ages. And we started our fund need, and in about three minutes, we funded the position, and another 60 seconds, we funded another position, which was not in the spreadsheet, but operationally, the SPCA jumped to it, and literally 10 days later, two new officers were, were on the ground, and a couple months later, there was one of the biggest animal seizures in British Columbia history, and one of those new officers was a key person involved in that, in saving 120 dogs and horses from a, a property, rural property. So, you know, your question's a really hard one for me to answer because yeah. honestly, just selling a ticket sometimes, I'm doing the happy, happy dance. Someone bought a ticket, like I can't believe it. But that's one that just, you know, I had so many of the officers and their bulletproof vests coming up to me after and saying, like I do my work and I'm, I love my job, but I've never been honored before. And all, all these people, and I have, I have families at the event. So it, it's the kids who, who got to interact with these humans saving the lives of animals in real time, face to face. And I, I just think that that's something I was really, really proud of because it looked like it couldn't happen, but it did happen. And it was outside the box and it did take a lot of work, but then it also worked in spades, not just to raise the money, but there isn't a human in that audience that didn't take away an understanding, a better understanding of what this organization does. So it's a very long-winded answer, but it, it needed the full story to, to probably legitimize if I start crying, so. Yeah, no, but you know what? It's, I think it's so relevant because there are so many charities out there, like, you know, hundreds of thousands, thousands of charities that, that do so many different types of work. And if you can find a way to make that, it's like when you do pledge, you know, you have a pledge moment or an ask, 
or a Fundanese, sorry, using the wrong terminology for North America. You know, the, the aim of the game is, I've always said, is if you can give them something tangible, if, that, if you say, you know, if you give $500, it's going to do X, Y, Z. People do seem to really react with that. And I think what you've gone to like the next level, <laughs> because it's, they're actually sitting there and that person telling their story. So what I do each day is I do, you know, and I've saved, you know, I've saved all these, these pets or these animals. It's just super effective. But I think that's so translatable to so many other charities out there. And it, it kind of leads me on to a question I was going to ask you earlier. I remember you telling this story um, when I was in Vancouver, which was about the puppies. Can you tell our audience about this? Because again, I do think this is something that a lot of charities could try and you know, find ways to do in their own organizations. Well, it goes back a couple of years, and it was an event that I got brought into to fix, and it happened to be for the SPCA. And at the time, the first meeting I attended, there was a lot of talk about how much it would cost to pay the burlesque dancers to dance around the, the tables. So this is for like the RSPCA, the SPCA, yeah. BCSPCA. They don't do burlesque dancing at the shelters. And I asked what the point of the event was. Of course, no, nobody, nobody knew. And I said, well, you know, what resources do we have? that reflect our organization and that are free because every dollar you spend on something like a burlesque dancer is a dollar less to save an animal. It does, mm-hmm. how, how do you explain that to guests paying money? I can't, I can't do it. So I have a very good relationship with a lot of the, the uh, employees at the BCSPCA. And so I created the Cuddle Lounge. So the cuddle lounge was in, so my venue had my event space with my tables and my stage and all that stuff. Then there was an adjacent room that I used as the cuddle lounge. So pre-event, yes, Giverdue was there. Yes, I had my auction, all these kind of things, but I had a cuddle lounge. I worked really hard with the organization and the gals and got a lot of sponsorship, sponsored turf, sponsored faux fencing, sponsored potted faux plants all sorts of things kind of made like a park and I had um, little fenced properties with different sets of animals with the SPCA employees supervising. I had kittens, I had puppies and I had a bunny and guests in the pre-event would go into the cuddle lounge and go into the little space and they got to cuddle, play with. These were all animals who were currently up for adoption, who had been rescued, surrendered, et cetera. So before my event even started, my guests had held the recipient of whatever they were gonna do. So they were gonna do something, weren't they? They were gonna do something. They couldn't not do anything. So that became wildly popular, obviously. So I've had to try to morph the event to still include my messaging and on stage stuff because really people just want the cuddle. But in there lies the question, what do I do now? Because maybe maybe there's something to that. Maybe I don't necessarily need all of the extra F&B and all these other contracts and all this other stuff. Maybe I can do something just by offering what I already have which are animals and humans doing the work. So that was the puppy cuddle thing that you heard the word puppy and then you heard cuddle in Vancouver and you were like, 
what's this? So <laughs> that's the thing. Find find your hook. Find your free hook. You know, and I don't I don't mean to say this out of context, but you know, if, if you have someone who's hurting, who's been through a struggle, you got to get them to speak. You got to get them. You got to get them there. You got to use the resources that you that you have. And I had puppies, kittens, and bunnies. Which is amazing. I mean, honestly, it's so innovative and 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 also now so obvious when you say it. Now you think, well, why why wasn't we doing this all along? But so you, you, puppies, kittens, and bunnies, or burlesque dancers that you're paying. Yeah, it's just oh, it's so. And you know what? It goes back to what you're saying. So sometimes you know you don't necessarily always have puppies on tap, although we all wish we yep. had. And I remember I went to an event in London, and the year before, let's just say they they raised. I'm making the numbers up, but let's say they raised like 30,000 in their, in their ask, because they were always really quite good at pledging. But this year they had a new person on board who was like, we're going to do something really different. And they showed this video and it was in Sierra Leone and it was, it was showing you the impact they're having. And it also went deeper and it told the story of this person and it was absolutely harrowing. You just, you like still makes you feel emotional because you can't understand how a human being can have been through that many things. You're watching, you're already thinking, I'm going to give, I'm going to give because this is a powerful story. But then the twist was, at the end, the person who was actually filmed in Sierra Leone then walks on stage and then she gave a speech because she went through such horrendousness and then she told the rest of her story. And I remember the race, it was something like, let's say 60, they, they doubled it even, even more. And like, and I just remember thinking, God, this is this is how you do it. Like that with that twist, but also, like I said, that person had already been helped by the charity, and she was more than happy to come on stage. Where yeah. you're right, you know, what's what's burlesque dancers going to do to make you want to give more money? Although they are amazing at what they do, you know what I mean. But then save the burlesque dancers for an event or a campaign that reflects theater, the arts, dance, something where it's it's. It's right. reflective of something that you're talking about. They don't have anything to do with rescuing animals. So that's, you know, you can find the space for everything. It just needs to reflect to your donors. You have to stay on point. You have to stay on message. Your outfit has to match. So from beginning to end, you have to be on your same thesis, your same point of why you're there. And to bifurcate that by having pipe drummers, burlesque dancers, Cirque du Soleil happening, waterfalls, ice sculptures. Why? Yeah. Why? Instead, take a camera. You know, actually, uh, there's an organization called One Girl Can, which is based out of here, run by a friend of mine, and she had her online thing recently. A couple of things about the platform, a couple of things about that didn't quite work about the engagement in that modality. And again, that was lack of education. But, you know, Speaking about um, messaging, you know, they followed a gal who is getting education in the Kybera slums, and I've happened to have been there many times. And I just think that the messaging and the videoing of her, how she has to get to the school each day, that blew people's mm-hmm. mind. Because although I've done it and walked it, and I think I know it, even, you know, I learned something new. And she did it. They gave her a little phone so she could do it. So it was her doing her walk to school and it blew your mind. The problem with the modality that was chosen is that the video stayed in a small box and wasn't as impactful as if I could have seen it on my full screen. 
So it's just another thing we're learning along the way is how how to navigate these technologies and how to pick the right one for what you're trying to do, because they're all great. You know, everybody's doing great work, but it's about finding the one that fits and finding the right things at your event that fit. Burlesque dancers are fantastic, but puppies are also fantastic. And puppies yeah. at an arts event doesn't work and burlesque dancers at a puppy funding event doesn't work. So, you know, just just find the resources you have and use them. Love it. Well, there are so many more questions that I could ask you, <laughs> but I'm, um, we're running out of time. So I'd like to say an absolutely massive thank you, Tracy, for joining us today. I know that our listeners will have thoroughly enjoyed the advice that you've given to us. And I truly believe that your advice will help and support so many more fundraisers globally, not just the lucky people in British Columbia. So yeah, so, so a massive thank you, Tracy. Thanks for having me. Well, we really hope that you've enjoyed today's episode and found the content really informative. We would love to hear your thoughts. So please feel free to email podcast at gibbyd.com. You can make suggestions on future topics. And if you have a special guest that you'd like to put forward, please, please, please do email us. And thanks again. But don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Take a listen. This is a series. So every two weeks you will hear new content from us as well. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.